Just a quick note before we jump into this episode. This summer, Dan and I will be taking a break. We'll spend time with our families and attend workshops and conferences to continue growing as leadership educators. Our plan is to release four episodes this summer, but we'll see what happens in the world. Thanks for listening to this episode, and we invite you to check out some more you might have missed during the year or revisit some of your favorites. Educator Podcast. I'm Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are both super thrilled for this episode of the podcast. We're joined today by Susan Lucci and Dr. Joshua O'Connor. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. All right. So I am excited that we have both of you all because we have had some, some fun times at Association of Leadership Educators conferences for for years, for years now, and just being able to explore all the different uh, sights and sounds of the different cities that ALE has, has hosted conferences over the years, and even online last year and, and coming up in a, in a few weeks here from when we're recording this podcast. I, I want to say um, for, sh- for certain that, Susan, you and I must have met at the gosh, 2013 or 14. New Orleans. Uh, New Orleans. Whatever. I knew it was New Orleans. I was trying to remember if it was 13 or 14. And that was one of the most memorable ALE conferences, not just because I got to meet Susan Lucy, but because we were sandwiched in between Essence Fest. And I think it was called something like Naughty in Nolens, which was some type of swingers festival that was being hosted in the hotel that the conference was at. And we all got flyers under our door the last day of the conference, just letting us know that we might see some other interesting sights and sounds outside of Bourbon Street on certain floors of the conference hotel. And so there was all kinds of intersectionality of cultures and social identities <laughs> that we were interacting with uh, at ALE that year. Um, and then I remember that after that conference, um, you had gotten the idea and proposed it to the board to start the uh, mentor mentee program for first time conference attendees at ALE, which we had talked about on a previous episode of the podcast as well, which has just struck up so many amazing collaborations and friendships and, and memories for folks because it's such it's just such an inclusive process. And I think that's one of the things too. There was a time where where ALE, I know when I first joined, gosh, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast or either. My first one, I think was 2010 or 2011 in Denver. And at the time, because there were used, not that there isn't any more, but so many of the founders of ALE came from extension and land grant institutions that were connected to agriculture. And so there was literally a session on poultry science on the program the year that I first went to an ALE conference. And I was like, is this a, I thought we were here to teach leadership. I'm so confused. Um, and it was just kind of like the last bits of, of that big influence on ALE. And and it was right around the time too, where more and more student affairs professionals were starting to join ALE. And now it's so inclusive. We have people that are teaching management, organizational behavior, student affairs, we have consultants, we have 
organizational leadership faculty, you know, OB, you name it. And so it's just, I love that mix. And I think you, you came to that first conference at just the perfect time, Susan, and really made a big splash and, and then joined the board and just, you, you made a lasting impact. And we've, we've had so much fun in, you know, the group outings and things that we've got to do together at LEI too, and ALE and probably ILA too. Am I, am I, am I misremembering or is this, is this pretty accurate, Susan? Does that sound good? I think it's very accurate. We've done uh, NASPA, I think, together. Probably, and, yeah. Um, yes, yes, that's right. I, I still have that sheet that was slipped under our hotel door in New Orleans. Oh, you do? <laughs> a list of workshops from the Swingers Conference, which, because this is a family show, I won't share. Mm. But um, that was that was quite a memorable end to a conference. And I can remember sitting in the lobby of the hotel the last night of the conference, because we didn't check out for the next day, um, reading through, I had about a hundred applications that I was reading for students who were applying to a summer leadership program at University of Delaware. And um, it was really hard to concentrate <laughs> on those applications because of all of the interesting activity that was happening in the hotel bar. Um, it, it was quite an eye-opening experience, but, but this, this conference, how did I miss this? I was a year late. I Josh, San Antonio. Josh, I'm with you, especially because I've been to Essence twice. So on the front end, I've experienced that fun. And I think I would have hit the ceiling if my professional conference and one of my favorite personal events, not the, the swingers on the end, but the Essence Fest, <laughs> Uh, the lar- it's one of the largest festivals for R&B music, and it's amazing. I've been twice. Um, I would have hit the ceiling. I would have been in New York, uh, New Orleans for like two weeks, but I would have hit the ceiling if, if I could get both of those in the same trip. Um, exactly. So I'm with you, Josh. I don't know how I missed that memo. I think, Susan, I'll also share. So Dan talked about the mentor program. So you and I, um, we've known each other for a a while. I I was doing the math and it's been about like probably eight or so years that that we've known each other. So I live really close to UD. Um, You, Matt, and I regularly connect to just, you know, share leadership information. Um, You were my mentor at the, so the program you brought to fruition Um, I attended the DC conference and that mentoring program was so great because I didn't know too many people at that time. I think it was really you, Matt and Avani from TCNJ. And I felt like I could go into that conference and, and connect with folks. And I felt like I had this instant community so that, that personal and professional that you and Dan say y'all have shared. I think that mentoring program was really a kickoff for me at the start. So it, your program worked. Um, Because seven years later, I'm still here in ALE, still an active member. Um, And so I I love that. Um, And then also, even in transitioning from student affairs to academic affairs, which will be our topic for today, you were really helpful in in that transition. And and Josh, you know, I've seen you at various conferences. um, But I'm curious, first, just a little bit about yourself for those that are listening and don't know you, if you could each share that. But then also share how you two started doing work together because you're gonna you're presenting on this conference. Uh, Tom, can you share a little bit about that? Um, a little bit about me. I've been in the student affairs field for 30 years and I started um, in student act. I actually started with a trio program, uh, student support services. I was a counselor, my master's is in counseling. Um, morphed from that into a director of student involvement and oversaw all student activities at a uh, University of Baltimore. And 
I had a student, a grad assistant in 1999 or 2000, who came to me with the idea of starting a leadership program. And so I am a 100% self-taught at that point, leadership educator. I dug into everything I could possibly dig into um, in terms of reading. I learned all about Susan Komovez and the social change model and leadership challenge and all of those basic, you know, foundational things that we all can recite in our sleep uh, to build this leadership program and, and learn that I've developed a real passion around it. So my career kind of took a change in focus and I, um, University of Delaware had a position, wasn't really looking to leave University of Baltimore, but it um, had a position, we were looking for someone to start a leadership program. And my daughter happened to be a student at University of Delaware at the time. So, you know, benefits help push a job application. Uh, I applied, got the job and, um, you know, built a leadership program there from the ground up. And it started out being primarily a, a series of workshops for student organizations, but it has now over the past 10, 11 years grown into a true co-curricular program uh, with some marvelous faculty partnerships. So um, that's a little bit about me. And uh, I'm Josh O'Connor, uh, originally born and raised on the East Coast, but now living in Los Angeles uh, on the West Coast. My entire professional career, I was just telling Lauren prior to the podcast that my entire professional career has really been on the West Coast. Um, I, uh, uh, I am not, uh, my original schooling was in communication, PR, and advertising. Uh, my mentors in college kept telling me I need to work in student affairs. I was born for student affairs and I was like, nah, I'm good. Uh, went and got my master's uh, in communication, PR and advertising, um, but then realized they were right uh, and stayed within student affairs. So I've been in student affairs my, my entire career thus far. So I'm at 18 years. And I did go back and get my doctorate uh, in higher education, leadership and management at Drexel University. My dissertation uh, was on um, building mutually beneficial relationships between faculty and student affairs to provide holistic services for our students. And so when I see universities, I see that there is a bit of a gap um, on the two largest entities on campus, student affairs and academic affairs, working collaboratively. They really do stay in silos nationwide. And so um, when I came to ALE, uh, I, I fell in love uh, with the organization. It was great to see student affairs and academic affairs and other entities work side by side on leadership work uh, and really break down those barriers. And when I heard Susan Lucci was at the conference, I thought it was the Susan Lucci. Uh, it, it, the, is. It, it is. It is. Of course it is. <laughs> but I thought it was the actress. So I got real excited and then met the actual Susan Lucci, who is on this podcast, got very excited, met her. She and I bonded instantaneously. Um, every time we go to a conference, I book reservations under her name because we get the best tables, free bottles of wine, flowers, chocolate, free desserts. And then these two fools walk into the restaurant. We disappoint the restaurant a little bit, but love it. So, um, but I think, you know, we have really done some pretty stellar work together. Um, and the reason we work so collaboratively together is we really have similar vision uh, around 
um, bridging the gap between academic and student affairs, uh, looking at our students and providing holistic services, and how we can, you know, work within an institution, even though we're on opposite sides of the country, we work in, in individual institutions, but really trying to build stronger connections between academic and student affairs. I, I just want to add to a, that get to know you story. I, I was the only student affairs person on the ALE board for two terms. So I was, you know, constantly reminding people that uh, the faculty were not the only members of ALE. And as Dan mentioned, faculty in uh, extension programs, ag faculty are also not the only people, you know, in ALE. So um, I recruited Josh to run for the board because I knew he would be an outstanding student affairs voice um, in our field. And, and I think it's important. And I think Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you are the only student affairs person on the board now, Josh. Yeah, it's my second um, second term uh, student affairs. Yeah. So I think, you know, I think we've made progress in ALE to become a more inclusive, um, collaborative organization. But I think there's still a long way to go with that as well um, because of the silos that exist on almost all of our campuses that Josh referenced. Really, really quickly, Josh, I, I can see 9,000% how your PR background translates into student affairs. So I teach in the PR program here at Temple, and that mutually beneficial relationship is the heart of what public relations is. And, and the, there's so many parallels between leadership and public relations that it's such a natural fit. Um, I also think don't think that many people realize that in the communication space, there's this huge um, depth and breadth of leadership and, and communication and education seem like polar opposites in the research. So to bring them together in that very meaningful way makes, makes so much sense. Yeah. And, and I'll just say, Lauren, like the reality is our work is all about relationship. That's it. If you strip everything away, the theories, everything gets stripped away. Really, it comes down to how do you build those mutually beneficial relationships? Um, how do you understand someone else, where they're coming from, and how do you help them develop to become a better leader? That's really the secret behind good leaders is, is in my opinion, is, is that relationship piece. And I think, Josh, you have, you're particularly um, good at developing relationships and, and really getting people engaged and feeling welcome. I think that's something that definitely you and, you and Susan share. And, and maybe it's because you guys both are coming from student affairs backgrounds, which I think is one of the, the gifts that student affairs professionals always seem to bring to any you know, relationship, any partnership, any collaboration uh, on a college campus. And, and Josh, I know you, you and I, we've seen each other at, at various conferences, ALE and, and LEI. I've always, always was impressed. First time I met you, your energy and enthusiasm around the service projects that the um, association would do and other activities Activities at ALE conferences and your contributions to the board. Just I, I, I just knew that I knew you. I knew you. You were a fun guy. Like I knew we, anytime we had a chance to be in, in in group outings and things like that, it was always it was always fun. Always had good conversations. And, and again, the the service that you provided to the ALE board is is just out of this world. And so speak, you know, speaking about the relationships um, between student affairs and faculty and and some of the experiences that y'all have had. And in particular, it's, it's, it's interesting because that was, 
when I started at University of South Florida, so I was working in academic advising. I think I started in 08 when I um, felt like I had been liberated and left corporate America. I was working for John Hancock um, Mutual Funds at, at the time and got a job. Uh, I had just started my doctoral program and, and then within a year expanded my role to also be a co-coordinator of the leadership center there at University of South Florida. And it was, it was a unique setup because the College of Undergraduate Studies supported the leadership center and there was an academic minor and they did everything in consult with one another. So I worked a lot with uh, Jennifer Espinola and Todd Wells. They moved on to bigger and better, better things, but they're just two, two amazing folks in the, uh, um, the leadership and student affairs world. And we just did so many things together. It was a pure partnership. And I just thought, well, other institutions must do it like this. And then I went to like my first conferences and they're like, you guys do what? Say huh now? Like, you know, and, and so that was like the, the first of me when I first started going to conferences and learning that, okay, this is kind of a unique oasis of, of partnership. And then when I started at USM in 2012, one of the first things I did was reach out to Chris O'Connor. I don't know if there's any relation, um, Josh, that ran our leadership center at the time. Um, he's no longer at, at USM, but, um, but we went out for lunch and I said, hey, you know, I really want to partner with y'all. I noticed that there's, you know, not, you know, too much leadership programming and could we teach a course to undergrad, you know, and he was like, Dan, I'm so excited that you reached out to me. It is, he's like, it has been too long since faculty reached out. And I just thought, is that, you know, is it just at this university? And so I started to learn more that it's, it's not always a perfect synergy. It really does take, sometimes it takes the, the impetus has to be on the on the faculty member, or I don't know what it is about that relationship. And I, and, and I was at a, and I know I'm kind of like all over the place, but I'm thinking of all the different times where like this, the evidence that supported this like theme that, that I started to really understand. I was at a inter-association inter leadership education collaborative. I think we, we talked about that on the show before too, these meetings that were at the University of Maryland for years. And Julie Owen was a guest there one time who we've had on the podcast. And she said, you know, there's this artificial binary between leadership uh, educators that are faculty and those are in student affairs. Like, why do we do this to ourselves? We're doing the same thing. We're teaching the same stuff. We're all teaching college students. Why are we doing it in silos? And so it was like all of these things. Um, and then I remember, and this will be the last thing, and then I want to turn it over for y'all, but it's just that there's so much evidence of this and, and also so much evidence that it can be done and it can be done well. Um, I knew that Kathy Guthrie, who's at Florida State, and we've had her on, obviously on the show, Eric Bushland, who's at Central Michigan, Another amazing individual, um, just got full professor, kudos to, to Eric. Um, I knew that they had both had student affairs backgrounds and faculty backgrounds and were working in student affairs programs. And I asked them to write an article together in 2014 when I had an opportunity to edit a special issue of the Journal of Leadership Studies on curricular and co-curricular um, collaborations. And, this, and the article, I just pulled it up, called Seamless Leadership Learning and Curricular and Co-Curricular Facets of University Life colon, because what good article doesn't have a colon, a pragmatic approach to praxis. And they talked all about these synergies that they were doing at their universities between academic and student affairs that really had propelled their leadership minors in particular to just take off in huge ways. And so it can be done and there's some great models out there. And so I'm, I'm so excited that y'all are presenting on this at the conference and I'm going to zip my lips and listen to what y'all have to say about that. <laughs> First of all, please send me a link to that article. I would love I would love to read that. Um, you know, I, I've been in student affairs a long, long time, and I love the field. I do think the field has expanded and grown 
to be more concerned with learning than belonging or equally concerned with learning and belonging. So, you know, we grew up on Chickering's vectors and um, Vince Tinto's retention theory. And, and it was so much of it was about relationships and about connecting to the institution. And a lot of that took the was happened in the way of programming more traditional student activity kind of programming. So student organizations that that focused on hobbies or interests outside of the classroom, um, as opposed to direct learning and pedagogy itself coming from student affairs. But I think I feel like I probably saw a a change, a pretty heavy change in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Um, and I was still, I'm not that old, I was still pretty new in the field. But so I, I do think part of the synergy that's happening now is because student affairs have, have pivoted a little bit to, to become more, um, to have more curriculum based, to be more focused on learning outcomes. And faculty, respect that, quite frankly. They're be, they're speaking the same language a little bit more than they did, you know, 30 years ago. Um, and that's just sort of a, that's just my perspective. I can't give you any data to prove that, but from my experience, I think that's where um, I have seen a little bit of a change in the field of student affairs. I don't know, Josh, if you have felt that. Um, yeah. So, uh, Dan, first and foremost, uh, my very first time meeting you was in San Antonio. You said two nice things about me, so I have to say one thing about you. Um, I was in San Antonio. I went to your session, and um, I don't even remember the title of the session. My apologies. I actually remember the room. We were crammed in a room. There were a ton. It was standing room only. I'm like, who is this guy? Um, and, uh, and you had everyone do team builders. And I was like, this is not faculty. He's not faculty. There's no way he's faculty. And then I'm like looking up your bio. I'm like, oh, he's faculty. Okay, this is interesting. He must have a student affairs background. So that was my first introduction of you. And I was like, like, I'm the, already the president of Susan Lucci fan club. So I can't be the president of the Dan Jenkins fan club. I'm sure there's other, but I'll be vice president of the Dan Jenkins uh, fan club because I was like, this guy's amazing. Like he's faculty and he gets it, right? And you were talking about the inclusion of student affairs and working with faculty and working with student affairs um, and that we're all doing the same work. And that was like my introduction to ALA. And I'm like, I'm sold, I'm sold, I'm sold, I'm sold. But you know, we talk about like uh, what is happening with faculty and student affairs. I mean, historically, student affairs, I mean, and the research shows this, it, it is, is a default of what the university had to create. Um, faculty was teaching and faculty started saying, we don't wanna deal with the conduct, they're cheating, but that's not my job to, 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 to hold them accountable. University, you gotta deal with it. And then it, we, we, student affairs was developed out of that. It, and, and then really in loco parentis, right? Like in, in lieu of parent, right? And then we then took over the out of the classroom, uh, they didn't call it learning or teaching back then, but it was just, we took care of them. Uh, we were their parents outside of the classroom. And then this field developed. And, 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 and I think that there was this, at least back in the day, uh, there was this mentality of like faculty are the, the, the educators, the, the respected folks on campus and student affairs, you just take care of the other. Make sure they're getting good grades, just make sure they're going to class. 
today, that is not the way I think anyone views it. Um, and, and if there is a view of that, um, I would love to chat with the person who believes that because I think really right now, you know, you see these retention and satisfaction um, surveys uh, across campuses. And I know at our institution, UCLA, we do a lot of surveying of our students and our senior graduation um, and our, our annual uh, uh, surveying of our students you know, uh, their satisfaction rate out of the classroom sometimes is higher than within the classroom. And, and, and that is because there are people not just in the classroom providing them support, right? They're there for academics and everyone on campus should be uh, encouraging the students around their academics. Academics come first. Um, but we also really have found that the student affairs uh, units and divisions really support the student fully and holistically on top of and including the faculty, right? And so that's where this shift has come. Um, and, and, and I've seen it throughout my career. And, 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 and even now it's, it's, it's pretty amazing to see, you know, we just went through COVID, right? And faculty were turning to student affairs and saying, what do we do? Right, like you all, faculty have their deans and the deans are like, yes, they have to go to college. They have to, we're, we're, we're going online. Lauren, you talked about that. Everything's moving online. Um, but then we were getting an enormous amount of calls of like, they're not doing well. They're, they're not paying attention. They're not coming to class. They're coming to class, but they're talking about how they don't have internet. They don't have, and so that's where Student Affairs stepped in and said, how do we help? How do we support? And I, I'll tell you, COVID is horrible and, and we've lost hundreds of thousands of lives worldwide. But the one thing COVID has done in an institution, it really broke down the barriers between faculty, students, and student affairs, where we all had to come together and work under the exact same guidelines uh, to make sure that our students are graduating, our students are succeeding, and they're retaining the information. And I hope, as we are slowly really coming out of COVID, that that collaboration and partnership continues uh, uh, when we come back in person. You know, you shared so many great things you, you both did about the, the student affairs faculty relationship. And I, I think part of the reason why I feel confident in my teaching ability is because I was in student affairs for 10 years. Like Josh, you talked a lot about, you had faculty coming to you and saying, you know, that students are experiencing these things. I defaulted into so much of my uh, wellness resource center. My, my, I, I wasn't, I didn't work in res life, but I had, so I've been around res life so much. Um, and I would, I remember before COVID and during COVID, I would sit in meetings with my peers and they would say, oh, well, we've got to do this. And I'm like, oh, but there's a student affairs unit for that. Like when COVID first happening, one of my colleagues said, well, we got to reach out to their parents. I'm a parent of a college student and their school is telling me X. And I'm like, but okay, so here at Temple, the family and parent resources office is handling that. And I had to literally forward her the email message that went out to all of the parents. Mind you, she wasn't even thinking about the 25% of our population that was non-traditional. And so their parents, uh, you know, might, might either like not have a relationship with them, or if they've aged out of the foster care system, they don't even have that. So it wasn't even really being inclusive. And all of those things were results of the, the, the training and development that I experienced in 10 years of student affairs. And so I think some of it is the, that old, we have to be responsible for everyone mentality. But the other side of this is, and it's always been this way, the marketing and promotion of student affairs. We just throw the parties, 
And we know we are so much more. We know student affairs does so much more than that. And I feel like this is a great opportunity, like you said, as faculty are reaching out and we're building those relationships to enlighten uh, folks on what we actually do more than just everything outside the classroom. But I know like our Dean of Students office was um, helping students find temporary housing. Like I had students who were from China who, who couldn't get back home. And so they were the ones figuring out what their housing situation looked like. Um, the wellness center, they're doing, not only were they doing COVID discussions, they were also doing DEI discussions and then responses to the political tension and stress and, and conflict that they were experiencing because of the, the 2020 elections. And so, so much was on their shoulders. And in addition to them just experiencing life as people, meaning we didn't even talk about what like our res life coordinators were going through, wondering if they were going to have a job since no one was living on campus. Right. And so it's like, I love that you shared that, that, the, that while this is a really horrible thing, COVID, the race issues, the politics, there's this openness to shift. I actually just read an article on this this week because a lot of my dissertation is centered on kind of what should faculty do to foster those interactions, knowing we just came out of this really turbulent time, right? And so I love that that shift is there because I feel like student affairs is ready. They have the services that like th they do these things. And so it's just really about how do we close that knowledge gap so that faculty then default to student affairs, dean of students, all these other units, instead of saying, well, we have to do this or we have to demand this from our school or college when it, it already exists. Just had to jump in with that. I don't know that I have a question following that up, but I will say as a faculty member, I'm happy to send some emails out on, on student affairs behalf. I, um, I get pivoting here a little bit. One of the things that I always tell my um, staff, any kind of colleagues, new colleagues that I'm mentoring in student affairs is take the first step to reach out to faculty. Um, let them know that you have a skill set that may complement something their students are doing in the classroom that may enhance. Um, an example that we had, um, we run a series in BHLP called Crucial Conversations, where we have students engage in difficult uh, dialogue. And, and while pro we didn't we didn't do too much of it during um, COVID, but. Um, one of our faculty members who runs the uh, Center for Political Discourse reached out to us and said, hey, you know how to teach students how to, you know, you teach students to facilitate these difficult conversations. You know how to lead them. I want to run a series. Can you partner with me in doing that? Um, so those are a lot of the kinds of things that, that I'm doing at, at UD. Um, I did a presentation to our honors faculty on similar to kind of some of the stuff Josh and I are going to talk about, but they came to me and said, you know, our faculty are complaining about group projects, that students aren't successful in group projects. We know you do a lot with team effectiveness in your program. Can you come present to our faculty about how to create effective teams for our students working on these group projects in class? So I did. And as a result of that, um, a conversation erupted that I, I built a faculty advisory board for my program. So I handpicked nine faculty members around campus who either teach leadership or who had supported our program. Um, and I get feedback from them about how we can collaborate. And uh, as a result of that, um, Dan, something you mentioned earlier, remind me of this, I'm working with our organizational community leadership chair to help boost up their minor. 
um, can we give credits in our certificate program, our co-curricular certificate program for some of the stuff students are doing in their minor and vice versa? So, you know, and I think it goes back to, again, what Josh said in the very beginning. We have to build those relationships. We have to let faculty know what we are doing because quite frankly, they don't often reach out to ask. Um, so if they let us know about, if we let them know, excuse me, about the success of our program, the kinds of jobs our students are getting because of the experiential education they're having in their student affairs leadership program, then all of a sudden faculty are gonna pay attention and say, oh, well, wait, what, what might you be able to connect with my students about? So, um, that's all. That was a hard lesson for me to learn, quite frankly, because I think as a as a new student affairs professional, I had the imposter syndrome. Like you know, I had a capital I on top of my forehead, walking around forever, um, until I got elected as part of the university senate at my other institution and was started. Oh, faculty are people too. Like okay, they're they're not going to jump down my throat or think I'm less than. Um, so I think, I think student affairs pro professionals have to work at building those relationships. Yeah, um, I think you need one relationship to start to build momentum. Like you don't have to right. make, like I had a great relationship with um, this woman that I now I'm colleagues with. She had a communicating leadership course and we came in that class and we did speakers, we did assessments, um, they came to the conferences and we co-created various assignments for students to get in, involved. And it actually made my teaching job easier. And I feel like that's that's part of it. We're not incentivized at all to partner. Um, we're incentivized to do service, but I don't know that we see, you know, sending students to a leadership conference as service, but it completely is. Um, and I think, again, like it's that just finding one and then building, you know, continuously. Josh, I don't know if you have any specific examples of some of the partnerships at, at UCLA that you've been able to build that you could share with us. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, so so uh, uh, I, I oversee university housing and residential life. So we have 18,000 students who live on campus with us. And um, we have a faculty in residence program. So we actually house uh, tenured faculty, I mean, some of them are doing top-notch research. They hold classes in the residence halls. Um, they're, they're amazing. They're amazing people. But talk, talking about breaking down the silos, they live on campus. They live with undergrads um, in apartments, not in dorm rooms. Um, and they are able to uh, work side by side with the student affairs professionals. You know, um, I run uh, TEDx UCLA, TED program. Um, and I know Susan does the same in her, her area. So we both run TED programs and, 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 and we bring in our faculty and, and engage with them and coach them on how, I mean, it's very interesting to take a faculty member who is award-winning uh, at the university, uh, you know, brings in millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, of research money uh, and then tell them, uh, yeah, you, 
you speak well, but you actually don't know how to speak in the TED format. Let us help you, right? And so, um, because it's a really unique way, unique way of speaking. But I, but I think, you know, Susan and I have gone and we have co-taught with faculty. Um, you know, we, 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 we host our own leadership workshops where we bring faculty in. And so, you know, my big philosophy around breaking down these silos really comes down to, again, like I said, it's the relationships. One of my biggest pet peeves, I can't stand when anyone on an institution says, my students. Well, my students, well, my students, no, they're our students. They're all of ours. And, and that's, that's that siloed mentality, right? This is my class. This is my program. No, we got to move away from that. If we're looking at the holistic aspect of a student, we need every single professional staff member on a college campus to think of the actual holistic student, not just the piece that they are putting forward. Each class is a piece. Each program is a piece. Each year is a piece of their entire academic program. And if we start, and, and, and this is for everyone who's listening, if we move away from what am I doing and what, are, what do I do for my students and take that out of your vernacular and just start looking at a student as a whole, how am I contributing to their whole academic curricular activity and program to get to their uh, graduation date and beyond, right? Set them up to be good citizens of the world. We all have a role in that. When you start looking at your, 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 your position as a professional at an institution of higher education, you take that perspective, it really changes the way you work. You want to reach out more. You want to do better for your students. Um, you look for those resources uh, uh, to make them be better people. I'm talking too much. Sorry. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, that's a, a great note to end on. We thank you so much. Y'all have given us so much food for thought and inspiration on future collaborations. Like Dan and I are always, you know, looking to uh, partner, um, not across the silo, but partner with our, our peers and colleagues. Uh, and so I hope others, as they listen to this episode, I hope they're motivated to just, if not one, just, you know, just take that leap and get started. Um, that wraps up this episode of our Leadership Educator Podcast. Thank you everyone for joining us today and to you two, best of luck uh, for this summer. I hope you get a little bit of a pause before it picks back up for the, the fall academic year. But again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank, thank you. you. Fun. We would love for you to follow us on Twitter. I'm at Dr. That's D-R underscore leadership. And uh, Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Mrs. Laura J-B. Um, and you can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. And we also encourage you to subscribe and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd also like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris chair in new strategy and management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and educator. And he's currently an associate professor of trumpet, coordinator of jazz and commercial music, and director of ensembles at Coastal Carolina University. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thanks so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, thank you to the Association of Leadership Educators. Check out what 
ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you'll listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts. 